there is a time um, to fire people, but we also want to be careful not to downsize and and lay off people too quickly. So it's a balance, but it's a mm -hmm. critical balance that every leader should know. Welcome to the Strategic Ministry Podcast, where we seek to help church and ministry leaders think more strategically in order to reach more people with the gospel. Today, I'm joined by Phil Cook, the co-founder and president of Cook Media Group. He's produced and directed film and television programming in more than 60 countries and has been influential in shaping the stories of some of the most successful nonprofit and ministry organizations of our time. He's been called the only working producer in Hollywood with a PhD in theology and one of the most innovative communicators of our generation. Let's join the conversation. Well, I'm primarily a creative person. I'm a writer, a producer based here in Hollywood in Los Angeles. And um, I worked for an organization in the Midwest, a nonprofit ministry organization for years in the Midwest. And when I was 36 years old, I got fired from my job. And uh, apparently the, the, the new leadership in the organization didn't think I was as talented as the old leadership did. So they fired me and um, that gave us a little severance package to be able to come to LA. I knew I'd been called to LA for a long time. I knew I was called into the film and television business. And, um, but I'm the king of rationalization. I don't know about you, Dave, but I, I can <laughs> rationalize anything. And um, I was, you know, we had good school our kids were in, our friends were there. We had a good church. And I thought, you know what, maybe I can do this Hollywood thing from a distance. And I finally got fired. So I think looking back, it was God that fired me, but there is mm. life after being fired. I can tell you that. And we came to LA, started our company, Cook Media Group, and we produced everything from studio stuff to, you know, films, TV programs. We've worked with PBS. We've worked with all kinds of organizations. And we mostly have a real passion to help Christians tell their story more effectively in this media-driven culture we live in. Mm. You know, the truth is media is the language of our culture today. And I think one of the reasons Christianity is literally disappearing from the culture is because we don't speak that story well, and we need to engage the culture more effectively. And I think mm. media is one of the key reasons and ways we do it. So I, I, I get involved with my, I'm a, I'm a writer. So I get involved with my blog at philcook.com, which is how you and I met. Yeah. And uh, I'm always talking about leadership issues, media issues, creativity, things like that. In fact, I just wrote a book this year called Ideas on a Deadline, how to be creative when the clock is ticking, because I just really think that people need to understand how to embrace deadlines instead of fear them and how we can really use them to amp up our creativity. So that's kind of my life in a nutshell. And uh, yeah, I travel way too much, but that's life. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, there you go. We can maybe talk some some travel tips. I'm a, I'm a bit of a traveler okay. myself and uh share some swap some some horror stories Let's perhaps there at the end and uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i love what you say about that because i i think you know one of the one of the saddest things that i see in in terms of christianity is we have one of the most if not the probably the most compelling story yeah. in human history of god who became man took on flesh came and, and dealt with our sins so that we could reconnect with him and you know, uh, I forget who said it, but someone once said, right, it's a sin to bore somebody with the gospel. And yet that yeah. consistently it is the case in many churches and in many outlets. And, and you know, we don't necessarily become these engaging storytellers, but it's, you know, it's no wonder that as a society, we have a thirst for media. We've been telling stories since the, the dawn of time, right? That's yeah, right. What are absolutely. cave paintings, if not early forms of media and story? Um and ways to to tell and to share and and to gather around and find community. 
Yeah, I've often thought that if I was doing an advertising campaign on Christianity, you'd use terms like eternal life, have a relationship with the God of the universe, discover your purpose and destiny. I mean, there's so many incredibly positive things about it. How do we blow that? And why are we just not doing a better job of getting that word out there? So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it, I wrote a book a few years ago called The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Get It Back. Mm. And in that book, I discovered it was John Bach and I wrote it. My friend Jonathan Bach and I wrote it. And we were really trying to figure out why Christianity is disappearing. Why why are we not making a greater impact? And we thought it was, you know, marketing issue. You know, maybe we're not marketing ourselves well. And why doesn't the culture embrace this more? And we started doing some research. You'll find this interesting, Dave. We, we brought in Lifeway. Mm-hmm. Pew Research, uh, Gallup, uh, four major research organizations we, we talked to, and we started studying Christians and how they live their life. And not people who just call themselves Christians, but actually people who show up in church. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, what we found out was really shocking. Give you an example. We found out that um, when it comes to Bible reading, we found out that Christians in the pews on Sunday, um, something like 19% read the Bible every day. Something Mm. like 20-some percent read the Bible a few times a month, Mm. Um, but 40% of Christians in the pews on Sunday read the Bible once a month, rarely or never. So nearly half the Christian population rarely reads the Bible. So that'll give you a little insight. We Mm -hmm. we found out that when it comes to prayer, 63% of Christians in the pew on Sunday Mm. at church believe that prayer is essential. And we thought, okay, there's a win, 63, that's a majority. But that also means the flip side is 37, more than a third of Christians in churches today don't believe prayer is essential. So you start Mm -hmm. looking, you know, at those kind of things, the church attendance, I mean, that bar has dropped so low that if you show up just three out of eight Sundays, you're considered a regular. Yeah. um, And and in the post COVID world, it's even less. Oh, even less. That's right. And even less. And so uh, I think the threshold is 33% now for regular attendance. Yeah. Okay. Well, when you look at those kind of numbers, and, and of course, the final one was giving, we found out that, of course, you know, less than 10% of Christians actually give 10% of their income to help mm-hmm. the work of God. So, you know, when you look at those numbers and you start realizing, you know, it's not radical Islam is not the problem. It's not the gay community. It's not Hollywood. It's not some other group that's a problem. The, 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 the biggest threat to Christianity in America is American Christians, because we're just not living the life God has mm. called us to live. And so um, it really was a wake up call for us. And I think that's, you know, that's the word I'd love to get out that if we really do want to make an impact, we've just got to be better at it. We've just got to be better Christians. I mean, most people look at us and don't see anything unusual or different or triumphant, uh, victorious. Man, Mm. if we were living that way, I think it would change everything because because perception is so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to get off on that rant. No, but but that's that's a great point. And it, and it, connects so much to you know what we're doing here and and how we're trying to resource churches and think through strategy and you know strategy really begins with people and motivating people and you know one of the things we talk about with our groups is better understanding your your attendance and like not just numbers but names right and where and kind of categorizing them in terms of because it gives you kind of that litmus test to see like you know when, when we're working with groups, we talk, so 33% and below, we would call minimally engaged, right? They're minimally right. engaged with your church. Yeah. 33 to 66% of the time they're there, we would call them engaged. Um, but we ask the question, how is the church engaging them into a deeper relationship, right? So it's it's yeah. not just, hey, they're there, but what are you doing with them? And then 66% and above, we would call bought in. And usually yeah. you'd see that's usually where your givers are. And that's usually the smallest segment 
that a church finds that they have is people who are genuinely bought in. And that's, that's worrying and heartbreaking. (laughs) Well, a number, you know, a few years ago, the center for Bible engagement did an $8 million study and these were sociologists. So they wanted to find out what causes Christians to really ramp up their life They're, you know, mm. what makes them better Christians. And they studied everything, listening to sermons, listening to worship music, prayer, Bible reading, showing up in church. they looked at all kinds of factors. And you know what they found out? They found out that if you engage the Bible four or more times a week, mm. your behavior changes so dramatically that people notice. I mean, and, and what was really funny was the, st- mm. the, the study showed that you lose weight or you become a better husband. You're huh. better at work. You, you drink less. I mean, there was all mm-hmm. kind of factors they factored in that just engage. And they, they found out if you engage the Bible three or less times a week, makes no difference whatsoever. You're no different than your, your non-believing neighbor. Mm-hmm. But four or more times a week, engaging the Bible in some way, listening, reading, whatever, it makes a dramatic, visible change in people's lives. And boy, hmm. you think every church in America ought to be shouting out from the housetops. Yeah. Um, that would make a huge difference. So I'm just a big believer. I'm a big Bible guy. I just think that, uh, that there's so much evidence out there that when we engage on a regular basis, it really, do, you know, in, in many ways, not reading the Bible is like going to a doctor who never consults the medical literature, or going to, a, you know, or going yeah. to a mechanic who never reads the manuals. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to get an, I'm not going to get in a, an airline flight with a pilot who never reads the manuals or never went to school. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's just, I, I think, you know, this, the, the study we did indicated we're just really we're not living the Christian life very well. It's like going to a meeting at Coca-Cola headquarters and everybody there's drinking Pepsi. That's kind of the way we are. That's kind of the way we are. So it's not surprising that the culture doesn't want to be like us. No, that's a great point. And I I think, you know, I'm curious to, to know, like for the average Christian, if you asked them what scripture is, right. And asked them to rank it in terms of like the other, let's call them religious books of the world if it would be similar to like just your average secular person who'd put them all on the same shelf at Barnes and Noble. Right. Um, yeah. They're all kind of, kind of level playing field when, when scripture itself testifies to us, like, you know, no, your, your word is more precious than gold. Yeah. And I remember talking to a group about this idea, like how can something be more precious than gold? Well, it's True. what makes gold precious. It's, it's scarce. It's hard to get. Yes. There's not, it's, there's a finite amount of it. Right. And the more you have of it, the more valuable it is true. Well, the word of God, this is the only word of God, right? (laughs) You don't get more scarce than that. This is it. This is God's word to us. And to ignore that, right. We're missing how precious and valuable it is because it's not just like every other book. That's right. And, you know, and and the other thing you made an interesting point about, if you ask a regular churchgoer, um, Lifeway did a study just uh, just recently that it, that indicated. I wrote a blog post about this too. That they indicated that the average Christian in America has such off base beliefs. Their beliefs about Christianity are so erroneous that mm. they could be considered heretics. That's seventy three percent of Christians wow. in the pews. They their beliefs are so off base that they could be considered heretics. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's a it's a you know it's a lot of things. It's a teaching question: Are we teaching the right things from the pulpit? Are we encouraging people to engage the Bible? Um, you know, I, I it's it, it's something. It's interesting out there, and so 
it's it's uh it fascinates me i i, I really think we need to if we're going to engage we need to engage and make a difference in this culture today so yeah well and and you know so what you right the point you made four times a week um four yeah, or more yeah and, and so that leads me to the question which isn't necessarily what we jumped on here to talk about we'll we'll get to sure. we'll <laughs> get to the yeah, original we'll thing we, we you know we'll, we'll make our way we'll we'll stumble into it here along the way but right it it right as a as a coach consultant it raises the question for me well how can a church intentionally strategize reaching people four times a week with the scriptures right, right so obviously yeah. right you have sunday like that that one's kind of there but like during the week and that's where you know i think you're specializing and really wanting to come alongside churches there is leveraging the fact that your average churchgoer now has has you in their pocket yeah right yeah. when they're sitting at home yeah. when they're in their car when they're on their way to work where you know wherever um so like what are some great strategies for your average church let's say to begin engaging people into scripture I think it needs to become a habit. Um, you know, we, we've yeah. had so many great books out recently, Atomic Habits and things like that about how to develop, you know, a habit. I, I, I'm, I'm a morning Bible reading guy. I get up in the morning and the first thing I do is read the Bible. Um, and uh, I go into my office, my home office and sit down and, and open it up. And it, it's interesting that you just get into a habit of that. And it's easy. It, it's, you know, particularly you and I travel a lot. Uh, it's, it's easy to get out of that habit because of the schedules and the wacky schedules I have. But mm -hmm. that's a really critical thing. Getting into that habit's important. We've also we we partnered years ago with UVersion, the UVersion Bible mm -hmm. app, and we're mm -hmm. we're really close friends with them. And and I think just having that thing on your phone, I mean, the millions and millions of phones that that's downloaded yep. on, it's just so right easy there on my home screen. Up. Oh yeah, you can listen to it, uh, you know, read it, whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. And um, we're also, it's funny, we did a. Here's an interesting thing: we have a a client, a ministry in Atlanta called Courage for Life. It was founded mm -hmm. by a woman named Ann White, who has a real passion for teaching the Bible to women who are at risk. So mm -hmm. she has raised up Bible teachers to teach in women's prisons, uh, women who are in shelters, who are running from an abusive husband, all those kind of situations, and rehab centers. And she wanted to create an audio Bible. We did some studies and we found out if you're homeless and you're running from an abusive husband, you know, we wanted to create a study Bible um, with Ann's notes and commentary in there. But we realized pretty quick, the last thing in the world a homeless woman wants to do is carry around a big study Bible. Yeah, and right. so we thought, well, let's put it on a phone. Everybody's got a phone just about. And so let's, mm -hmm. let's do an audio Bible. We did some more study and discovered that if you've been abused by a man for the last eight or 10 years, mm. the last thing in the world you want is to hear the Bible read by a man's voice. And yeah, so you don't want thought, some. Great. You don't want some big guy like me reading that you in a there big you go. booming voice. There you go. Right. So it was an, it was something I'd never thought of in a million years. So I thought, okay, we'll go out and make a deal with a Bible that that has been audio already recorded by women. Mm -hmm. Guess what? There was none. None. Really. So we went out a couple years ago, and we. We brought in act actresses here in Hollywood, went to in the recording studio, and we created the first audio full-length audio Bible hmm. completely recorded in women's voices. It's never been done hmm. before. And it's on currently, I think it's on something like 68,000 digital tablets in the prison system in Missouri and Georgia, I think in Florida. Um, and now we're almost wrapping up doing it in Spanish, a Spanish version, all oh, in women's awesome. voices. So just, you know, I think the more creative we can be, the more innovative we can be to help people engage that more effectively, I think, you know, the better we are. So I, I'm I'm all open 
all wide open for creative ideas and how to get people to engage the Bible. Well, and I think audio is something that, you know, we don't always necessarily think about or like we somehow think it doesn't yeah. necessarily count. Um, but like in the developing world where there are languages that aren't necessarily even written, it's easier True. to get a version of scripture yeah. that's an audio version. Uh, like I think some of the tribal languages down in South America, uh, we have some missionary friends that we support da- down in Paraguay and they they have little, they're just little pocket MP3 players, right? That you can buy yeah. on the cheap and they load a digital Bible on it in, in the tribal language. And that's what they take out and they give it to right. And because they put the headphones in totally. and right. Uh, Cause they, yeah, they can access it that way. Um, yeah. I have a, I have a friend who's uh, I've supported from probably 30 years, Theo Asari. He's a, he's in Ghana, local grow up in Ghana. And he has a ministry there where he realized pretty, you know, a lot of Bible publishers and Bible ministries here in the U.S. were shipping Bibles to Africa by the ton, you know, mm-hmm. and they were reporting back to the, their donors that we printed a million Bibles last year yeah. and, you know, raised money. Whole well, cargo containers full. Yeah. yeah. And and Theo took me to a warehouse once in Ghana uh, that was packed with these Bibles. Oh. He said, nobody reads them because most of the people here are illiterate. Yeah, them and, and the, said, uh, um, the Super Bowl shirts, right? <laughs> exactly. So, th- so Theo got this idea of let's start recording the Bible in audio cassette. Mm. And, and back in those days, it was audio cassette. And he would go into a village, you know, get a bench, put the cassette machine down, pop a tape in there. And he said within a few minutes, he'd have 100 people sitting there listening, just fascinated mm. with the Bible. So I just think audio is a critical thing. And, and it's interesting, too, the Center for Bible Engagement's, you know, $8 million study indicated it doesn't really matter how you engage the Bible, read mm-hmm. it, listen to it, whatever doesn't mm-hmm. really matter as long as you're engaging the scripture in some way. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, I think it was uh, read scripture, like Francis Chan and their group did those really great intro videos. Like I know yeah. we've used those for students and stuff that kind of help set the stage. Right. Cause I know a lot of people, when you start talking about True. accessing the Bible, it's like, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to understand it. Right. Uh, they're lacking context or and and like you can find those things on your own but the more resources that i think churches can create or or even just make available to people like you said yeah. helps them to develop that habit um one of the things i talk about with uh over the years like i was a you know in student ministry for well over a decade um and taught the question came up many times how do we read the bible and taught many many you know lessons on interpreting and understanding and but always tried to tie to the end like it it doesn't do you any good to know how to read the Bible unless you're actually going to read the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the big things we always talked about with habit building was tie it to another habit. Uh, so for myself as a coffee connoisseur, um, when I make my morning cup, I read my, read my Bible. Like that's just right. Whether I'm traveling with wherever I am, like I know I'm going to have coffee in the morning. So <laughs> yep. um, tying the two together for me was what really made it stick over the years. Does make a difference. That's for sure. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. How are we doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. <laughs> Cruising away here. We haven't even talked, uh, touched on the main thing, right? Because I reached out I to can, you. I can uh, ramble I, all day. Oh, yeah. Well, so I think it's so interesting, right? You you shared a little bit in your story there about how, right, God moved you out of where you were to get you to where you were supposed to be. So yes. uh, your article struck a chord with me because uh, you wrote a, a fantastic piece on um, why churches should not automatically move towards downsizing is how I'm going to yeah. kind of summarize it. And we'll, sure. we'll delve into that more, but I remember showing it to my wife because I was downsized. Um, you posted a meme a while back that just made me laugh. Cause it was a whole bunch of people standing around one worker 
and like yes. right for financial reasons we've decided to get rid of dave and i was like dang phil that one hit a little too close to home because um, <laughs> i was downsized during covid uh yeah. you know new leadership came in and and i was leading a student ministry across five different campuses and they decided that decentralized was the way to go so you really don't need a central director anymore um but like there's a thought to that that i think fits with a lot of what church consultants are saying today but i think there's a thought to that that doesn't necessarily weigh some of the longer term like i think it can fix some short-term things yeah right um but yeah i would just love to to dive into that a little bit more because right i think a lot of churches are facing the reality of you know we're coming into a recession where you know everybody's <laughs> everybody's retirement package shrunk substantially if they had one yeah. um bills are more expensive and so the less giving is naturally going to happen during these seasons so how how do churches prepare how can they respond yeah it's great it's a great point i i, I wrote the article i wrote the blog post because I'm, I'm seeing so many massive layoffs at tech companies uh big studios here in hollywood it's a lot of big companies are really struggling and i've noticed we you know i work with churches for a living and I noticed a lot of pastors are starting to see that and think, well, maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe I need to just cut back my team. And I just wanted to write a post to caution pastors before you do that, read this, read this yeah. post. And, and I brought out some issues like, you know, number one, you've got a team there that knows the congregation. Um, they know the system. They know the culture. They're part of the culture. And I would be really hesitant to cut those people out because eventually you know, the, the, you know, the, we're in a terrible economy right now. We're in a terribly, you know, inflationary spiral. But hopefully, eventually, we're going to come through this and emerge on the other side. But when we do emerge on the other side, you're going to have to rehire those positions. And you're mm -hmm. going to have to teach people about the culture. You're going to have to teach people about the congregation. They're not going to know everybody anymore. And so you're kind of starting from square one all over again. So I, I'm, I would rather default, seriously think about defaulting to keeping the team on and struggling for six months or a year in order to emerge on the other side with an intact team, because I think they know, you know, I, I just can't emphasize enough how culture matters in a church and a ministry and a nonprofit, the culture of the organization really does matter. And so you just can't, you, you can't underestimate the value of a team that knows the congregation, knows the system, knows how things work. So I think that's important. Um, and I also talked about something I'd, I'd been reading about, which is survivor guilt. Uh, this is, a, you know, it, it sounds silly in many ways, but the truth is there is guilt among people, particularly when you have a massive layoff, when you have a significant cut from the team. Mm -hmm. There's a significant amount of survivor guilt. People feel guilty that they didn't get cut. And so very often, and you may have experienced this, the relationships between people that used to be very close, when one gets laid off and one stays, those relationships start to fray. They, mm -hmm. you know, Suddenly you don't have that work experience in common. You feel awkward being around that person because they got fired and I didn't. And so a certain amount of guilt steps, steps in. And, and we've seen in many cases how that really hampers your motivation that hampers the team it, it holds back the team that kind of mm -hmm. guilt is not something you want mm -hmm. to have your team experience well it's interesting so there's right two two kind of components to this that, yeah. that I, i'd like to unpack more that are you know right so in, in the first instance right you're you're right we're struggling to make budget whatever the reason we got to start evaluating right right sizing our staff is kind of the term that's being right. bandied about among churches right now right our 
our church is different now because of COVID. Our church is different now because of X, Y, Z, right? Giving's down, attendance is down, everything's down. Um, you know, and, and I have some thoughts on that. We'll we'll delve into later. But like, you have right, you're at this crossroads moment uh, of, well, we can cut staff to survive, or we can struggle through. And when I think about struggling through, yeah, it might be a struggle, but you could actually gain ground struggling through versus, you know, if you have somebody who's integral to a ministry or overseeing a ministry or right, suddenly that ministry is on pause or yeah. it's dropped into the laps of volunteers. Right. And then you're dealing with that survivor to go, right. You have this whole team of people who were being encouraged. That was their pastor. That was their leader, right. They were leading the charge and leading the team and setting the direction. And suddenly that connection is severed. They're either connecting with somebody else, right. Who's, this responsibility now falls on, right? There's a whole lot of learning curve to that. Oh, um, yeah. And like you say, you're, you know, you come to the other side of this and you put somebody in place. Well, that's another year, right? Of not really gaining ground. Because yeah. as anyone knows who's ever done any kind of, it takes 12 months to really onboard somebody well to where they feel like, okay, now I know what I'm here to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I finally understand yeah. my job now. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, people don't realize that. People don't realize just what a commitment that is to rehiring people and and training people. Uh, now, granted, a lot of churches don't train anybody. I wish they did, but uh, it, that's a really, really great point. That um, I, you know, and, and this there's some parallel things that go along with this, Dave, that are kind of interesting to me. For instance, uh, there are a number of studies out there that indicate with companies, and I've seen this true in nonprofits and churches as well. When you uh, continue at full speed ahead during a crisis, even during COVID, during inflationary times, during a financial collapse, whatever. If you are still advertising, still promoting, still marketing, still being aggressive out there, those are the companies that always seem to emerge stronger on the other side. Mm. So very often, think of it if you're a, a you know if you if you're listening to this and you work at a church or a ministry organization. Think of the fact that most of the churches in your community are going to pull back during times of a crisis, whether it's inflation or whatever it is, they're going to pull back. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the natural tendency to do. But if you continue out there marketing, you know, working your communications team, getting the story out there about what you do and what you're accomplishing and keep your team moving forward, when you emerge on the other side, remember – all those churches that withdrew, they're not going to be in people's minds. The mm. church that's going to be in your community's mind is you because you are out there telling your story. You are out there marketing. You are out there planning. Um, I just think we need to understand the power of that. That's been so that's studies have shown that's been so true over and over again. So, you know, even though it's scary, even though it's difficult, and I know with our team at Cook Media Group, um, we've gone through those difficult periods where I'm thinking about, okay, maybe it's just time to cut everybody loose or cut everybody in half, whatever, mm -hmm. or cut the team in half. Hopefully I won't cut anybody in half, but I'll cut mm -hmm. the team in half. Um, I worry <laughs> about those. I, I wonder about those things. And um, I've always, I mean, we've been doing this since 1977 and uh, no, I'm sorry. We've been doing this since 1991. And um, I've always just felt like We've emer we, we've stayed stronger by keeping the team together, even when we go through a really difficult time. Mm -hmm. And um, so that that's just been my philosophy. And and um, I, I think just as a result, they they all know. I mean, as you know, when I'm on a film shoot, I I, I I'll tell you, my team, I don't even have to say anything. I, I just grunt, and they know mm -hmm. what I want. Um, <laughs> you know, we don't even have to communicate. We just know we've worked together for so long and so many years. We know the culture. We know each other. 
And so it's just so awesome. Uh, we, we, I did a shoot in Malta. One of our clients is the Museum of the Bible. And about mm -hmm. six months ago, we went to Malta and did a film on the Christmas traditions that they have in Malta. They did a big exhibit on these at the Museum of the Bible uh, this year. And um, it's really interesting that uh, I, I was filming, we were trying to save money. So I filmed with a local crew there. And it was just a shock. Every time I have to film with people I don't know, even though they're really good at what they do and yeah. film crews around the film crews around the world are great. That, you know, it's a similar mm -hmm. system, but it's still people I don't know. And it's interesting that it's a, it's slow going. It's uh, it, it creates, you know, some conflicts, uh, some challenges. And so mm -hmm. whenever I can, I want the people around me that know me well, I know them well, uh, we work together, we know what the goals and the visions and the values are. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, I just, I think pastors, ministry leaders, nonprofit leaders should really consider those things before they immediately take a leap to downsizing and having to start all over again on the other side of the crisis. Well, and that's, you know, that's the, the, was that four stages of any like organizational team, right? The forming, storming, norming, performing, or... I might have that that order mixed up, right? But that's that's right. That's synergy in a in a nutshell, right? Is you have yeah. to work through those things, right? The team has to be formed. There's going to be some conflict that that kind of happens, right? Then we're gonna kind of smooth out into normalcy, and on the other side of all of that, we can finally be productive, right? We can finally start yes. performing at a, at a higher level and avoiding having to backtrack through those steps yes. is something that can help, like you said, ministries in this season when the natural tendency is going to be to withdraw, is going to be to pull back, is going to be kind of to become really introspective and go, what do we, you know, what do we need to jettison? What do we need to get rid of? How do we need to fix it? How do we survive it? And I love that idea of, no, let's be aggressive instead, right? Yeah. And, I, and I would venture to say that the, the right, there's there's a smaller percentage of churches and ministries through COVID that the opposite was true. They grew, they didn't shrink, right? Oh, yeah. They, they Absolutely. had more people plugging in. They connected with more people and they saw more baptisms. They saw more we, people we coming to faith. Three, we have three churches we work with that we put on broadcast television during COVID. Um, we helped them, you know, we've been, I've yeah. been preaching, the, I've been preaching the gospel of live streaming for decades and, and, <laughs> We've, you know, we, we've just had remarkable results with clients of ours. We have churches that before COVID were making as much as a third of their total financial income just from their live stream audience. Hmm. Wow. And that's because they respect the audience. They treat them like a congregation. Mm -hmm. It's really critical. But, but the interesting thing was we went into some churches and helped them tweak their live stream during COVID. And it was so effective that the pastors said, Hey, we need to let our whole community see this. Mm. And so they went on local television and, mm -hmm. um, the results have been remarkable. So I think, um, you know, a key part of this is just keep telling your story, keep getting it out there. Mm -hmm. And so now, now let me, let me jump in and be real controversial here for a minute and, and wow. really alienate some folks. Let's and, do it. And, I, and the reason I think this is an important conversation is because I also happen to be a person that believes in firing people. Um, I think that one of the mistakes the church makes historically is we confuse loyalty with competence. We mm. think because br brother Bob shows up every week for choir practice, he never misses. He's got a terrible voice, but <laughs> he shows up every week. He's supportive. Let's yeah. give him the solo. Mm. Huge mistake. You know, mm -hmm. loyalty and competence are two completely different things. And so very often we keep people, pastors are really guilty of this. They keep people in positions on staff because they're loyal 
rather than they're really good at what they do. Now, mm-hmm. here's the thing. Obviously, we're Christians. We want to be nice. We don't want to kick anybody to the curb. We want to be gracious and we want to help people. And pastors often think, well, you know, nobody notices that they're falling down on the job. Nobody notices that they're they're a bottleneck. I know they're not as good as they could be, but, you know, let's just keep, you know, keep them there. Let me tell you, everybody notices. Everybody notices. And it, it creates <laughs> resentment. It mm-hmm. creates frustration. Your other team is having to carry this person because they're dropping the ball. So there are points where I do believe very strongly that it's time to let people go. I think it was um, Jack Welch when he was CEO at General Electric. He had a great quote, which was, when you don't fire an under underperforming employee, you're lying to them because you're giving them a, a false sense of what success is. They think mm. they're doing okay, but mm-hmm. they're not. And so the best thing we can do is move them out of that position where they're a problem Mm -hmm. and help them get plugged into a place where they can do well, whether it's in your church or another organization, you know, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that, you know, the guy talking about don't downsize too quickly (laughs) also believes that if there's a problem employee, if there's an underperforming employee, Mm -hmm. I I just really believe that, like I say, don't kick them to the curb. We want to help them transition, but... Um, we need to get them out of that position. And and here's the deal. People will come back at me with, yeah, but Phil, we're Christian organizations. We want to help people. Let me tell you something. The stakes could not be higher when it comes to the church. Mm. We are trying to win a lost world and we cannot afford to be screwing around with this stuff. We need to, we need to do the very best we possibly can with a team that we have. So I just think that again, I, I would never in a million years be, be, um, you know, brutal, um, you know, be crude or anything like that, but we got to get the people out of a place where they're not performing well and help them get in, into a place where they can succeed. Mm-hmm. And if we do that, I think it would transform most churches because we just got to understand loyalty and competence are two different things. So we got that on one side yeah. and we've got, there is a time um, to fire people, but we also want to be careful not to downsize and and lay off people too quickly. So it's a balance, but it's a mm-hmm. critical balance that every leader should know. Well, and I think there's a real distinction there between we're downsizing because the economy's bad and we're, you know, we're fearful. We're not sure how we're going to keep the orders open. We don't know how we're going to make, you know, paychecks. We're right. We're fear and worry versus we know the goals we've set for you. We've talked to the team, right? We've been through performance evaluations. You're not blindsided by it. I know one of the big things that, that was always key to me with the teams I led and the staff members I oversaw was, I never want them to be surprised by feedback, right? It's one of those things like it shouldn't feel like it's coming out of left field. There should be conversations about things that when conversations get more serious, it's, it's because we've already been talking about this. Right. And, and, you know, we can talk about finding the right seat on the bus or things like that. And, and, you know, have transitioned staff and had to let staff go. Right. That's, that's just, like you say, that's part of the job, but handled well and for the right reasons. Um, and I think that's the big distinction that you're talking about is right. It's one thing to evaluate your staff. And I think you even say this in the, in the blog post, right? If, if there's a staff member that you've been evaluating and you know, they're not in the right seat on the bus and you're not sure there is a seat on the bus for them, like this might be a natural time to part ways yeah. and help them part ways. Well, yes. um, but don't, don't let the external factors force internal change that could potentially hinder the ministry for years to come. Very well said. Very well said. I think you're exactly right. It's, it's don't make, don't let outside circumstances dictate what you do with your team internally. Um, I think that's really, really important. So, yeah, I just think, um, 
you know, I, I advocate for leaders to use a crisis to rethink our priorities. There's certainly a, an important time to rethink what we're doing and how we could do it more effectively. But just automatically moving into downsize mode is not the answer necessarily. It's mm -hmm. not. And we should be very careful before we do that. And otherwise, and here's the other thing, um, you know, abrupt downsizing really causes a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of bad feelings, even in the best of people. And um, so yeah, you know, nobody my, wants to be downsized. No, no. And, <laughs> you know, even in my case, I was, you know, I knew God wanted me to come to L.A. I knew it was time for me to move. I, you know, I tried to negotiate my way out of it. So when I got cut. I, I knew it was God doing it. I knew it was not, not the leader of the organization. It was, it was God doing it because it was time for me to move. And I'll tell you, doors started opening things, you know, dramatically transformed for my wife, Kathleen and I. So it was the right thing to do. And, and you'll know that, you know, whoever's mm -hmm. listening to this, you'll know that and always be looking for those. And I also, by the way, Dave, it might be good to talk to people about the fact that always have, always be thinking of a, an out, you know, mm. I, I, I'm shocked, really shocked at the number of people in churches, ministry organizations, nonprofits who are are, are stunned when they get laid off. Mm. But they weren't ready for it. They don't have a resume up to date. They don't have mm -hmm. a bio. Uh, they haven't been networking and meeting with people. Let me tell you, you, having your resume up to date, having your bio up to date, this is standard operating procedure in the world we live in today. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you're let, ready to leave. You could love your company, but you never know the circumstances in this volatile world and volatile economy that we're in. You just never know when that time may come. So I'm always telling people, look, I don't care how much you love your job be networking, meeting people mm -hmm. on the outside, be active on LinkedIn, um, have your resume up to speed, get ready, be talking to people, know what opportunities there are out there because you just never know. So that's another part of this conversation that when, if, if you do get canned, if you do get <laughs> laid off, um, be ready. Don't, don't be surprised. Be ready. Uh, always be mm -hmm. ready because you never know what, what door God could open for you if you're ready. Yeah, it's true. And, and you know, I think about, uh, Right. So when I was like, oh, when I transitioned out, one of the first things I said as I was job hunting was, well, this frees me to begin connecting with other churches that I'm already networked with. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's the I can go visit churches. I can go hang out. I can write. I'm going to help with this event. I'm going to help with that event and grew to a point where the help I was offering, they started to ask, well, what do you charge for that? And it's there well, you what? go what do you think I charge for that? <laughs> yep. And it, you know, it grew into what it is now and, and, you know, by God's grace, it'll continue to grow and continue to, to help encourage and, and move people forward. But like you said, it's, it's being, being ready to be used how God wants to use you. And, and you know, ultimately, right. Uh, it was a Proverbs, right. In, in his heart, man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, right. God is ultimately, yeah in charge of, of where we're going to go and, and moves us where he has us to be and, and being ready for that. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And there's, I forget, uh, one of my mentors said many, many years ago when I was first starting out in ministry about this idea of updating your resume, he told me to get in the habit of doing it every year because oh, yeah. there are things that happen during the year that you might want to highlight on there that you won't remember when yes. you need it to be up to date. That's true. Really true. Really true. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting that when, when um, because I'd been actively networking and developing relationships uh, for years, when I did get laid off, um, 
people started calling me. And the minute they heard I was on the street, they started calling me. And so I never went, I mean, I never missed a paycheck, mm. never missed a paycheck. Um, That's awesome. Because people instantly just started calling. So it's just a being ready. I think you're onto something there. Being ready is really, really critical. And let me just say this too. I would, I would encourage people to have multiple versions of your bio or your resume. I mean, I, I, you know, because I'm in the film business and the television business, I had a resume for Christian organizations that might be interested in me. I had a resume for secular studios that might be interested in me. I had a resume for, cause I've got a PhD. I've got a resume for academic opportunities. So, you know, you, it's not that you're, you're lying on anything. You're just mm -hmm. putting in the things that would be more attractive to those guys mm -hmm. and be more relevant to them. So you might consider if there are different levels or different places you might consider for a job, have different versions of your resume. That's why I love a computer because you can just have multiple <laughs> versions and yep. uh, whip it out anytime you need it. So that's really important. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And it's, you know, like you said, it's highlighting different aspects yeah. of your experience, of your education, of what you bring to the table to help, you know, it's it's getting that initial conversation, right? So you're trying oh, yeah. to get through whatever HR hoops, et cetera, to get to that that face-to-face -face opportunity to talk and, you know, sell yourself and feel out if you're actually a good fit for the organization as well. Because this yeah. is another thing that I'll tell people, if you're in the midst of being let go, if you've transitioned out, right, you know, and it's gone well or not gone well, Find ways to plug in, but don't give in to fear and jump into the wrong thing too quickly. Yeah, so true. So true. So true. You know, it's funny when I, the day I got laid off, I, I one of the girls on the team, people came into my office and, and I, I mean, I got laid off fast. It was noon when they told me and they said they wanted me out at five o'clock. And uh, Ooh, I said, look, I've that's been not a lot of time to pack up no. the office. Well, and I, it was a Friday and I said, well, let me come in on Saturday and I'll have, you know, the day yeah. to box everything up. And they said, no, 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 we want you out of here by five. And they said, we'll supply trucks, we'll supply people, whatever it is, we want you out. And so a lot of the people that I worked thanks. so closely with, uh, I know. <laughs> that's, that's such a weird <laughs> thing to be grateful. Thanks, I, I guess, right? And uh, it was funny, but <laughs> one of the girls that I'd worked with for, for a number of years came up to me and she had a scripture of, uh, of, the, a scripture of the day calendar. Mm. And she said, I thought you might be interested in today's scripture. And it was, it was an old Testament scripture. I'm the God that led you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. And <laughs> so that became my theme. There you go. For leaving that organization. That right up so, on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. It was really funny. I still got it somewhere, I think. But, uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So I just, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a volatile time we live in and I think we should always be ready. And then of course, you know, my parents, probably your parents came up in an age when people had a job for life. Uh, oh, that yeah. doesn't happen to anybody. I, I have a I have a friend here, um, Dick Cook. He was he literally he, he he retired from Walt Disney Studios as the chairman of Walt Disney Studios. He started hmm. his career driving the train at Disneyland. Wow! And you just now that's a story. That. And that unbelievable. You just don't hear that anymore. Driving no. the train at Disneyland. He worked his way up and eventually became the chairman of the studio. So you just don't hear that often today. You don't ever hear it because people go multiple, multiple, multiple. They're always jumping around to different jobs. So we should oh, yeah. just understand that's the way it is and be ready for that. Well, and there's, you know, it's my parents' generation. You know, my my dad worked for like three companies and his last one that he's working for now bought the one before it, wow. <laughs> you know. Okay, there you go. Uh, and so that's where that transition happened. And like my mother-in-law has been working as an OR nurse at the same hospital you know, my wife's whole life. And that's, that's commonplace in that generation. Yeah. 
But like you said, that's not the reality these days. And, and, you know, I think especially in ministry, God has us places for certain seasons and and we're not necessarily going to be there the whole time. Right. Uh, I think, right. Rick Warren recently retired from the church he planted, right. He spent his whole ministry career at one church. That is so uncommon these days. Yeah, it is. It really, I mean, really it's a is. wonderful thing, but that doesn't happen. No, <laughs> you know, he's Not he's much. like the exception that proves the rule there. Yeah, um, really true, mm-hmm. really true. All right, nice. So something oh, else that yeah, well, something else that that I did want to touch base with you on yeah. that, that came up as we were talking about. Um, you, you know, the impact of COVID and, and things like that on the church and, you know, kind of those external circumstances. One of the things that I talk to churches about um, the, that's kind of like my my controversial statement, you know, they either love me for it or hate me for it. Um, but it's that COVID didn't put you on a path that you weren't already on. That's a good line. That's really interesting. I mean, you steal know. that. Yeah, feel free. Um, that's um, good. That's good. And I see it in ministries that, you know, they've shrunk back, they've had issues. It's, you know, you were already on this trajectory, right? If your attendance is going down, if people are being less engaged, if you're seeing people, you know, kind of pull away from the church, whatever, you were, you were already there. Now, COVID accelerated it. I'll give it that, right? I think COVID moved you down that path faster, right? There may have been some warning signs or, or some, you know, some ability to course correct that you wouldn't be as far down this road if COVID didn't happen. But you might be here all the same if COVID didn't happen because you were already on this. This is the way you were already going. Yeah. And so I don't know about you, but I'm I'm always curious to find ways to help churches to recognize where their trajectory is taking them. Right. That can be a hard thing to to vision out and predict as a church, but like trying to discern um because I think things start to die at their peak more than they are dying in the valley, right? They're, they're good yeah. and dead in the valley, but usually we're, we're far down into that before we're recognizing it. So how do we begin to recognize those moments so that we can make the adjustments? Well, that's a really good point. And I, 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 I'm a big, big believer that the, the pastor is really the point of the spear here. Um, mm. I think that, that his vision, um, you know, his calling, his gifts, his talent, whatever, um, that's going to be a real critical thing in, in these kind of situations. I mean, I give you a great example. I, I actually know a pastor that he buys or, or he takes over failing churches. Hmm. So, and then not just in his state, he's got them in multiple states and he'll find a church that is struggling and is really crashing and he'll move in there. And and what's funny is he'll put up a video screen in, in <laughs> front of the church and project him preaching from his mm-hmm. home church. Mm-hmm. And it, the church grows. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. amazing. The, you know, John Maxwell's right. It all starts and, you know, it all begins with, with leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, leadership is so incredibly important. So my question is, who are the leaders in your church? Who are the people mm-hmm. that surround the pastor and really create a powerful, you know, compelling vision for where this church is going? I, I don't think Certainly, a great communications director is important. Great social media is important. A website is important. I can go all you know all day on why those things matter. Mm-hmm. However, without a vision, the people perish. There needs to be mm-hmm. a pastor or leader. Maybe it's a nonprofit. Um, he or she needs to really have a strong vision for where they want to go. So I usually start there, and I just find the people, the churches that just are really blowing up in a good way, that are doing amazing things. It's just a really 
passionate driving force that starts at the pastor because he wants to surround himself with people if it's nonprofit, whoever they want to surround themselves with people that really are very similar to them in many ways with that vision thing and mm -hmm. want to make something happen. So you're right. Uh, there, there, no, no question. There's the problem is I think with all this stuff we're talking about is seminary Bible colleges, they're great at teaching the Bible. They're great at teaching preaching techniques and things, but they're not very good at teaching how to communicate, how to cast vision, how to grow a church. Mm -hmm. uh, they're really not. So most pastors actually go into the job completely, you know, with no knowledge whatsoever about, you know, what kind of strategy do I need to be thinking about? What is my vision for this church? <laughs> yeah. How do we use the website? How do we communicate well? Mm -hmm. they just they're trained in that. And that's the reason guys like you and I have a job probably. Right. But, well, and but, you uh, know, how many churches over the years have you worked with where like, yeah, you have a vision and vision and mission statement, but it is completely divorced from what you're actually doing in your ministry. I am. So often that I don't even, I'm not a big mission statement guy. I mean, most churches have a mission <laughs> statement. They yeah. frame it. They put it on the wall at the office mm -hmm. or in the hallway outside. Pastor's says office. missional or disciple yes. or something somewhere in and there, right? Nobody ever looks at it again. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, trust me, 99% of churches in America, you ask the leadership team, tell me your mission statement. They couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> so what's the point? I just don't mm -hmm. get the point. So um, I think that, that um, I, I'm not, I'm not so crazy about mission statements, but we need to have a mission. No question yeah. about it. And why are we there? And what makes our church different from everybody else? Um, I, what, one of my big things is we're not going to reach everybody. You know, every church thinks we're supposed to reach everybody. Um, you know what? We're not going to. G there were towns Jesus went to where he didn't reach anybody. He couldn't mm -hmm. heal people. And if Jesus can't do it, yeah. certainly I can't do it. Kicked him so, out of his own hometown. Yeah, exactly. So instead of trying to reach everybody, let's focus on that, that, target audience, that group that we could really make a difference with, maybe mm. because of the calling of the pastor, the talent and gifts of the pastor, the leadership team, uh, the people in the congregation. What is that group of people that we could really, you know, call them low-hanging fruit if you want, but people that we could make an impact with, and let's go after those. And if every church in America did that, we would reach everybody, because mm -hmm. every church is different in some way. So I just, I have a lot of radical ideas. I could I could rant all day long at this stuff. <laughs> No, that's good though. That's helpful. And I think it, it, you know, it begins to to move the conversation forward. And that's really yeah. kind of the point of this is how do we keep moving the conversation forward to reach those people to be better equipped as leaders in the church. So really appreciate your time today, Phil. How can people yeah. stay connected with you, see what you're doing, get in touch? Like if they want more info, where they yeah. find you? At my home base is philcook.com. I'm cook with an E, P-H-I-L-C-O-O-K-E.com. Uh, that's my blog. You can get to my podcast from there. You can see my books and stuff from there. Pretty much everything I do starts at philcook.com. Now, I, I would say if you check me out on Instagram, my social media is at philcook. If you check me out on Instagram, whatever I say or teach about social media, totally disregard it when it comes to my Instagram feed because <laughs> I just have fun. I just play around there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think my Instagram feed is what keeps me from having a therapist. So uh, <laughs> it, it lets me vent. There so, you go. Uh, I apologize ahead of time for when you go check me out on Instagram because it's weird. <laughs> so Phil Cook everywhere but Instagram. Somebody yeah, else yeah, is running that, right? There's, <laughs> there's a different Phil running that one. Yeah. Oh, brother. Thanks for listening. I hope it was helpful to you. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And you can always connect with us for more info at strategicmen.com.